Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. We have been on Sunday morning working our way through the book of Galatians, and we are now in Galatians chapter 5. We'll be there next week, Lord willing, but taking a little bit of a detour because we want to talk about the importance of giving to the cause of missions, uh, not just here locally, but giving to the cause of missions and specifically globally. One of the most important things that we do as a church as it relates to missions work, is raise funds for supporting those missionaries who feel the call of God on their life to go near or abroad and take the gospel with them. And one of the ways that we do that here, or actually the way that we do that here at First Baptist, is through a program that we call Faith Promise Missions. How many of you have heard that term before? Faith, promise, missions. How many of you are hearing that for the very first time this morning? Faith, promise, missions. So the way that we support missionaries as a church is through a program that's called Faith, Promise, Missions. Faith, Promise, Missions is over and above what we give in our normal offering to the Lord. That's what we call the tithe. I believe that every member of the church ought to give the first 10% of your income to the Lord through your local church, where you worship, where you serve, where you connect, where you pray, where you sing. One of the ways that we support our local church is through our tithes and through our offerings. And I pray that it is your practice as a member of this church that you consistently and faithfully give your tithes to the church. If you are not a member of this church, you're sitting there and you're going, I knew it, I knew it. That's all pastors ever talk about is money, right? If you're not a member of this church, there's no obligation on you in any way for which you should give or or contribute to our organization if if you choose to do so. Well, God bless you and thank you very much. But what we believe is that members of the church should have that should bear that responsibility and that burden in order to give to their church. So that's what we would expect. That's what we teach and preach here. But the Bible also does talk about a way in which we give over and above in a means that that supplies the want or the needs for those who are ministering in and in and throughout other regions of the world. And what my aim this morning is, is to show you that from God's word, that the one who is the giver is the one who is blessed. And Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is better to be the person who is giving than to be the person who is receiving. In our culture, we believe the exact opposite of that, don't we? We believe it is good to be getting, not to be the one who is giving. And yet Jesus, and throughout the New Testament, the writers of the the letters to the churches, they teach and preach the same thing. That I believe as a faithful giver 
to and through our local church that we receive an, a measure of blessing. And I believe that not because it is fancy to say, but I believe that because that is what the Bible emphatically teaches over and over again. A faith promise is the way which we bless these missionaries, not just these five that are with us this weekend, but through which we bless all 110 missionaries that we support as a church. And Lord willing, that number will continue to grow in and throughout the years. But it is a way of which we are blessed to be able to bless them so that they can fulfill the call of God on their lives. Now immediately you say, Pastor, are there examples like this in the Bible? And the answer is yes. In fact, that's one of the examples that we'll look at this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. The Apostle Paul was sent out of the church at Antioch. That happened in the, in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul was a member of that church. He's sent out of that church of Antioch, but he goes from the church at Antioch to all of these surrounding churches. He goes to the church at Corinth. He goes to the church at Galatia. He goes to the, to the churches in Thessalonica. He goes to the churches in Macedonia. He goes to all these surrounding churches. He presents the need, the call of God on his life for what he believes the Lord would have him to do. He presents that need to those churches there in those regions, in those specific cities. He asks them to contribute to what he believes the call of God is on his life. And then he, through their support, ministers in the areas that the Lord has called him to. In fact, that is what the entire third missionary journey that the Apostle Paul is doing. He's going around church to church, and he's raising support for how he can help bless the saints, believers, and even unbelievers that are in Jerusalem. This is what he's doing on his third journey, and that is where, or when, he writes this letter here. On the very first trip to Corinth, the Apostle Paul has already presented the need. He got out the videos like we watched last night. He said, here is why God needs you to, to support. Here is why, here is the great need there. Here is why I'm going there. He set up his display table in the lobby. He handed out prayer cards. Okay, maybe he didn't have a display table and prayer cards, but he presented the need, much like what these missionaries have done for us this weekend. He presented the need, and then he said, now will you, as God's people, give in response to the need that you have heard. And the Apostle Paul has gone all the way to tell them the exact way that he wants them to do this. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, you don't have to read it, I'll read it for you, but you don't even have to go there, it's just a few pages over if you want to look at it. The Apostle Paul tells them the way in which they should give this offering. Verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians 16, and here's what it says. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So he's saying, I've done this in other churches, and just like I did this in other churches, I'm doing this for you. Look at verse number two. Upon the first day of the week. What day is that? What's the first day of the week? That's Sunday. He's saying on the first day of the week. Now on Sunday, let every one of you, that's each of us individually, that's you and your family, that's me and my family, 
Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall appoint by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So the Apostle Paul says, these offerings that you're taking up for those needy folks in Jerusalem should be taken up in a systematic way. That you should be collecting them on Sundays. That you should give your offering on Sunday because that's the Lord's day and because it is a reminder that as you give this offering, you are not giving it to one particular missionary. You are not giving it to the pastor. But you are not even giving it to the church. You are giving that offering to the Lord out of a grateful heart for all that the Lord has done for you. So we already talked about this on Wednesday night, but that our giving should be done systematically. It should be done weekly. And this is very important. It should be done willingly or it should be done voluntarily. Again, no one's standing over the top of you. There's no guys at the doors on your way out stopping you saying, hey, did you give an offering yet this morning, right? You can't leave till you get the offering in the plate. No one's going to get you on the way out that way, all right? This is something that as the Lord hath prospered you, as the Lord lays it on your heart, as you listen to these individual missionaries present their need, so let us give as God moves our hearts to do so. And this is the practice that we have had as, as a custom here at First Baptist Church, the practice of faith promise missions. And there will be some in the room that can testify, man, how we did not know exactly, man, if or even how we should we should support faith promise missions, but that when we did support faith promise missions, that God blessed in unique and exponential ways in our lives. Can anybody in the room agree with me on that one? That as we believed the Lord, and as we supported missions, and as we gave to missionaries, and as we listened to needs presented, that as we blessed them, God blessed us as a church. And Paul is now, he's gone to the church, he's presented the need, They've, the church of Corinth said yes, yes and amen, Paul. That's a, that's a great opportunity. We want to give to that. And they made this very large pledge. They made this very large commitment. And so Paul went from there, and he went to Galatia, and he went to Thessalonica, and he went to Macedonia. He went to all these other churches, and what he told them was, you should hear the offering that the people at Corinth have pledged to give. You should hear about this church at Corinth, what they have committed themselves to do for the cause of reaching the world with the gospel. Man, when other churches heard about what the Corinthians had done, man, they gave generously. So Paul sent his assistant Titus back to the church there at Corinth. He went to collect the offering, and there was no offering there, or at least it was a very small offering. Titus has returned now to, to Paul, and he said, you got bad news, Paul. Uh, I know what the church said they were going to do, and I know the commitment that the church made, but they had a really big talk, but they had no walk. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, they said they were going to do a lot. 
They even committed and pledged to do a lot. But when it came time to actually give, they have not systematically, weekly, voluntarily, willingly set aside offerings so that the need can be met. And so Paul is writing 2 Corinthians to that church. And he is saying, do what you said you were going to do. And this is basically the entire letter of 2 Corinthians. You made, you made a commitment. You made a pledge. You obligated yourselves to give. Now give. And this is the opportunity for with which you can give. Okay, so that's the setup for what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians 9. Have you found your place? All right, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Amanda knew that I had a very long introduction, and she asked us, she asked me, she said, David, please let us sit during the introduction. Otherwise, we'd have to stand for 37 minutes, all right? So you can thank her after the service for that. Look at verse number 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia, now look here, Achaia is the church at Corinth. It's the same area of the world. So he's saying, I boasted of you in Macedonia. And here's what I said, that Achaia or that Corinth or that you were ready a year ago and that your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should have been in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we... That we, say, uh, that, that we say not ye, but that we. He's saying, it's not just that you're going to be embarrassed. It's that I'm going to be embarrassed, and you're, you're going to be embarrassed, and they're going to be embarrassed because I told them what your commitment was. I told them the pledge you made. I told them the word that you gave. And now they're going to be embarrassed, and you're going to be embarrassed, and I'm going to be embarrassed because you didn't do what you said you were going to do. So he's saying this, that you should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Look at verse number five. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. Now listen to his instruction. He's going, to, he's going to motivate them on why they should now do what they said they were going to do. Why should we fulfill the commitments that we said we were going to make? Look at verse number 6. But this I said, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And every man according as he purposeth, purposeth in his heart so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a what? God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, 
that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, and he hath given to the poor, and his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministereth bread for your food, and multiply your own seed, and the increase of the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Now look right here. Look at the verse 11 is so important. Why do we give to these individual missionaries? Why do we give to the cause of the Lord? Why do we give to one another? Why do we give to the poor? Why do we give to the church? Why? That, here's why. That that which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. You know what our goal is for these missionaries when they leave here? Not that they would say thank you to us, but that they would say thank you to God because of what they received from us. Now listen to that. That these missionaries and the places they go and serve, Gambia, Uganda, Japan, uh, Canada, uh, La Quinta, that believers there would glorify and praise God and give thanks to God, not because of us, but because of what came through us. Because what God gave to us went through us to them that many more might come to glorify God Almighty. That is the goal. Not that people would be grateful for you and me, but that because of you and me, people would be grateful to our good and great God. I'm going to talk about that this morning. Our Heavenly Father... Use your word in our hearts and lives. Teach us great and wonderful truths. And when it comes time to make our commitments, Father, I pray that you would give us each individually clear instruction for what you would have us to do. May we make the pledge joyfully, cheerfully. Father, may we follow through on the pledge we make. And in your son's name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be, you may be seated. The Apostle Paul has sent Titus, his assistant pastor, and a few others, for accountability's sake, down to the church at Corinth, and he is asking them, now where is the commitment that you have said you would make? The Apostle Paul has gone city to city, church to church, place to place, raising funds in order to to see that the call of God on his life is continuing and able to continue. So he sends them this, this buffer, if you will. The Apostle Paul does not just show up. He's saying, "I look at verse number four. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, that we should be ashamed of this thing. So verse number five. So therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you. He said, this is why I sent uh, 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 these assistant pastors. This is, why, this is why I sent these spiritual leaders. This is why I sent them to you so that when I got there, we would be sure that the offering was ready, that we were all prepared so that we could follow through and do what we said that we were going to do. 
The Apostle Paul is saying, I sent these brethren to you so that we could make up for lost time. It's a similar idea that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's the same idea where Paul is saying we need to make up for lost time. When we said we were going to do something, we fell by our commitments. We fell by the wayside. Now we need to make up for lost time. We need to buy back the time and do what we said we were going to do. And this is why he sent these men there. And these men are ministering to this church in Corinth on behalf of the Apostle Paul in order that they might have the opportunity to make up for the lost time to give the commitment that they said they were going to give. Have you ever heard a sermon or a message, had a godly friend, a godly mentor, come, someone that came by, man, they put their arm around you, and in your time of struggle, in your time of need, they gave you a godly rebuke that caused you to see, man, the error of your way and caused you to go ahead and turn from the way that you were going so that you could make up for the lost time. This is, this is when you, you feel that sting of conviction, when you feel that sting of a godly exhortation or rebuke from a godly brother or a godly sister or a spiritual leader in your life, that is a good thing to feel in your heart. If all we ever look to feel is comfortable and we never look to feel the sting of, re of rebuke or ex exhortation or conviction, well, then we are not going about our relationship with the Lord correctly. And the Apostle Paul is saying this. He is saying, this is what you are feeling. The sting in your heart is a good thing to feel. In fact, the sting in your heart, that sting of conviction, that godly exhortation is a good thing for you to feel because it causes you to do all that you should and ought to be doing. And this is what we ought to strive to be for one another as a church, that we ought to love one another and provoke one another unto love and good works. And we should be thankful for godly men, for godly leaders, for godly ladies. We should be thankful for godly Sunday school teachers and deacons and pastors who speak God's word into our hearts and lives that cause us to see how we should have behaved so that we, man, we would change the era of our way, redeem the time because the days are evil. It's the same thing he's saying there. Look at verse number five, the rest of it, that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. So the Apostle Paul is saying, in, in some way, each church was going to send a representative with the Apostle Paul, if he were going to go, or at least with Titus, as they were going to go down to Jerusalem and present to those in Jerusalem their, uh, their offering. He's doing this by way or for the sake of accountability. And by the way, let me say a word on the measure of accountability, that we as a church need to be accountable for the resources that are entrusted to us from God's people. 
We have much to be thankful for as a church in this area of accountability. When you give to the church, you are not giving to the pastor so he can have a nice casual jet so he can scoot around town, okay? I have no jet in my garage. And we as a church have much to be thankful for by way of accountability. We have a wonderful group of deacons who make sure that we are accountable. We have a wonderful group of treasurers. We have a wonderful financial team, Pastor Michael, Miss Betty, who make sure that the offerings from God's people go to the areas of which those offerings were collected for. These are men and women who take their responsibility in this this area very, very seriously. And it's a blessing to me because it gives me the freedom and the opportunity to commit myself to do what I believe the Lord has called me to do, and that is to serve the individual members of the church by way of prayer, hospital visits, and preaching God's Word. We have a wonderful team. Listen to me, church. We have much to be thankful for by way of accountability when it comes to our financial situation as a church. So there are some leaders where Paul has been that they are now sending these leaders to represent their churches. And here's what's going to happen. Here are these very poor churches who've taken up these wonderful offerings who are sending leaders. And then there's the church at Corinth who has much and they're sending leaders as well. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you as a church who have so much, You've been blessed in so many ways. And by the way, we have to say that same thing as a church. That we as a church have been blessed in a bountiful way from God our Father. And he's saying the same thing to the church at Corinth. He's saying, you have much. You've taken up an offering. And when you go to present your offering, man, you're going to feel embarrassed because of what you committed to give, because, I what, what, because of what I told these other churches you were going to give, and because of what these other churches, who have very little but gave so much because of what they have given. So here are these very poor churches who've given a whole lot of money, and here are these very rich churches who've given very little money. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is not going to be expedient for you, and it's not going to be expedient for me, and it's going to make everybody feel very awkward when we get there. He's saying, so this is my advice to you. This is my pastoral counsel to you. By the way, that's what I would say to each and every one of you in the room this morning. This is my advice to you. This is my pastoral counsel to you, that as God has blessed you, give not grudgingly or of necessity. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. That's why. Because it is a good thing for you and me to give to those who have needs in and around and through our lives. So three ideas then. Number one, how should we see our giving? Number one, and you have an outline. And I want you to write it down. Number one, notice the principles of Christian giving. So Paul borrows this very time-honored principle, the principle of you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. You always reap after you sow. 
And you always reap the kind that you sow. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. Notice the option in verse number 6. I want you to see it. But this I say, that he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So the option is not between giving and not giving. He's not saying, maybe you should give, maybe you shouldn't give. The, the issue is, how much will you give? Not will you give, that's already, that's already foreknown. It's not will you give, it's how much will you give. That you can give sparingly, and if you give sparingly, guess how you will reap? You will reap sparingly. Okay, so let me make that plain. If you give a little, you will receive a little. And if you give bountifully, so if you give a lot, you will what? Receive a lot. He's saying this is the principle of sowing and reaping, that there is, a, in a real sense, a way in which we determine how God does bless our lives. And while it is true that we cannot dictate to God what he will bless our lives with, God is God, we are not. But while it's true we cannot dictate what God blesses our lives with, it is, it is true that we participate in the process of receiving the blessing in God's economy in some way. That when we give a little, we get a little. When we give a lot, we give a lot. That we can give in a way that causes God to give to us in a way that's sparing or that causes him to give to us in a way that's bountiful. That's, that's over and above. Many Christians wrestle with this idea. How much should I give? Should I give over and above? Should I give on my net or my gross? Should I give this or should I give that? And here's how I would answer that question. Which one do you want God to bless? Do you want God to simply bless the, the gross or do you want God to bless the net? Because according to this principle in God's word, he will bless you according to the measure of which you are making a habit in your life to bless those around you. Hear me on this church. You cannot outgive God. How many silver hairs in the room you remember when pastors used to say things like that, right? You cannot outgive the Lord. But you should hear me on the same side of this. In an era, in a world, in a time which is filled with shysters, this is no get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not standing here saying, hey, do you want a Lexus? Then give to missionaries, Okay. You want a Rolls Royce? Give to missionaries and God will give you a Rolls Royce, right? You give Benjamins, God gives Bentleys. No, it's, no, that's not the way it goes, okay? Anyone who preaches or teaches that is preaching or teaching something other than God's Word. It does not get rich quick. If this, this is a way, of, this is a time-honored principle. So here's what he's saying. To an agricultural people, to men and women who made their living by going out into the field and, and, and breaking up the ground and planting seed and watering and making sure it gets the sun and making sure the, the, the rodents stay out. 
He's saying to them, just like you go out into your field and you take one seed and put it in the ground and cover it up, do not expect a field full of corn. You put that one seed in the ground, you might get one stalk of corn. But if you want to ensure that you'll get a field full of corn, man, then sow bountifully and just give bountifully and give much. And listen, give much as God hath given to you. Sometimes what we are really good at doing is we're really good at giving what we do not have. God, if I win the lottery, then I'll give you half of it. Isn't that sometimes what we do with God? Now, God, Paul's instruction to the church is, it is not this, give what you don't have. He's not saying that. He's saying, as God has prospered you, systematically, weekly, voluntarily, but also, hear me church, but also intelligently, give as God hath prospered you to give. Then look at your resources, look at your abilities, and now give and give bountifully of with, uh, uh, from which what God has given to you. The farmer does not go out into the field, scatter just one or two seeds, and then quick to claim his blessing. Here's my offering, now I want a Bentley. No, that's not how it works. There's no name it and claim it. That's not how it works in God's economy. Here's how it works. The farmer goes out into the seed and he works hard and he works by the sweat of his brow and he works by the strength of his back and he tends to the field and he keeps out the rodent and he watches the field and he waters the field and he's careful to be a good gardener throughout all the season and he patiently waits for the harvest. And then when the harvest comes, you know what he does? He goes out and he works in order to collect the harvest. The same principle being given here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9, verse number 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 24 and 25. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. So the principle is, you give a little, you receive a little. You give a lot, you receive a lot. And you cannot in any way, shape, or form outgive God because God is the giver of all good gifts. Number two, there's the practice of Christian giving. Every Christian has the personal responsibility to give. Whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you have a lot, whether you have a little, whether you think you have a lot, whether you think you have a little, Every Christian has the responsibility to give, and every Christian has the responsibility to give in a way which we ensure that the gospel is taken to the far reaches of this world. And what you and I need to understand is no matter the amount of the offering, I'm not asking you to compare yourself to what your neighbor is giving. As God has prospered you, no matter the amount or the size of your offering, God is pleased 
when you do give no matter the amount. Any amount pleases the Lord when you give in three ways. When you give intentionally, when you give willingly, when you give cheerfully. That's A, B, and C there. That word cheerful, it translates from the Greek, it is sometimes it's translated hilarious. Hilarious giving. We should give hilariously. Sometimes when the offering comes by, we're crying. We're like, oh, right? Paul is saying when the offering comes by, we should be laughing. We should be, whoa, this is great. We get to give. Man, we should give more. And we should laugh. It should be a cheerful thing. It should be a rejoicing thing. It should be a hilarious thing in order to give. And we should give, listen, our giving should be fun. Not frustrating, but fun. And we should enjoy the, the benefit and the opportunity and the pleasure of which we get to give. And God is not extracting from us. And God isn't manipulating and forcing us to give. And God is asking us to give individually, willfully, voluntarily, systematically, weekly, but also He is asking us to give cheerfully. His God loves a cheerful giver. You know what makes the heart of God glad? When we give cheerfully. What makes the heart of God glad? When we give our offerings to the local church or through the local church to uh, missions around the world, when we give that offering, look at me, with a smile on our face. Not a frown. There's no such thing as a Christian grumpy giver. They always take an offering at this church. There's no such thing as a Christian grumpy giver. It's a, it's a Christian cheerful, hilarious, joy-filled giver. You know, when you, you know what's in the gift and you know what's wrapped up in the box and you know the joy that it's going to give your child and you can't wait for Christmas morning for your son or daughter to rip open that gift and the joy that's going to see on their face and you wait and you watch as they get to open the gift and you're like, oh, I know what's in there. This is going to be great. That is a joy-filled giver who approaches giving to the Lord and the work of the Lord in the same way. It's how we ought to feel as we approach tonight, church family. Because we know what we're going to give to these missionaries this evening. As the missionaries stand around the room and we form the line and we hand them the gift and we spoil them and give to them generously and liberally. And it is that generous, liberal soul that will be made fat as we know that they will go from here glorifying and thanking God because of what came through us. Because of what came through us. And we should give individually, willfully, cheerfully. Giving is a way in which we understand 
how much God gave to us. Your last one, number three. Look at the promise of Christian giving. So verse seven was, was, was the... Uh, verse 7 was the practice. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. Now look at verse 8. And God is able to make. How many of you are so thankful we serve a God who is able? Now what's God able to do? What's God capable of doing? What is it that the Lord can do? Look what he can do. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. As it is written, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, and his righteousness, righteousness remaineth forever. So God the Father specifically mentioned twice in this passage. He's mentioned as a link to the love that we have for giving, that God loves it when we are generous, but also God's power is displayed when we are generous. It is the grace of God. The ability to give anything at all is because of God's grace in our lives. Follow me. The ability to give anything at all is not because we're creative or smart or successful or fancy or rich on our own. Any ability that we have for which we can give is because God was gracious to us. It's the grace of God that saved you. It's the grace of God that strengthens you. It's the grace of God that sustains you. It's the grace of God that supplies your daily need. And it's the grace of God evidenced in your life that even gives you the ability to be able to give at all. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So two ideas there. There's first, this is giving is an extension of God's grace, the extent of God's grace. Notice all the superlatives in that verse. Do you see them? Do you see them? All, 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 everything. He says all things, all grace, always, everything. It's the all-inclusive phrases. It's the all-inclusive nature of God's good grace that God has given to us everything. Hear me. God does not give you everything you want. God does not give you everything you desire. God does not give you everything you ask. But God will give to you everything that you need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. And God will make sure that you have sufficient resources to meet your physical, relational, financial needs in all things. When does God do this? How often does God do this for us? At all times. 
It doesn't matter if there's a recession. It doesn't matter if it's a good economy, a bad economy. It doesn't matter if the unemployment is up or down. It doesn't matter if you just went through a financial reversal. It doesn't matter if you got hit with unexpected bills. It doesn't matter if you have huge debt. God is able to make all grace abound unto you. If God knows he can get it through you, God will send it to you. God will take care of you. That's the verse. That's the promise. And God taking care of us is a measure of God's grace to us. It's not just that though. It's the extension of God's grace, but there's an eternal nature to our giving. Look at it in verse number 9. As it is written, He that hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. And his righteousness, what righteousness? The righteous act of giving. The righteous act of giving when you dispersed abroad, when you gave bountifully, that became a righteous act when you gave to the poor. And you say, yeah, but pastor, we gave to the poor, and what did they do with what we gave them? I don't want to give them any more money because what did they do with it? And Paul is saying, what does it matter? What does it matter what they did with it? This righteous act, it remains for you forever. Look at the verse. Look at the verse. Verse number nine. He hath dispersed abroad, and he hath given to the poor, and his righteousness, the righteous act of giving, remaineth forever. When you give, that can never be taken away from you. The righteous act of blessing someone with the resources that God has given to you, can never be taken away. What is temporary, what is passing, what is momentary, what's here today and gone tomorrow, what's up one minute and down the next, Man, economies come and go. Stock markets rise and fall. There's always a flux with the world financially or economically. But the righteous act of giving is never in flux. It's never moving. That when you give to the Lord and you give to those in need, and when God blesses you and you bless them, that is a righteousness that remaineth forever. You can take what is temporary and you can make it eternal. You can take what is temporary and you can make it eternal. Think about it. Can your money be taken away from you? Sure. Can things be stolen from you? Sure. Can ministries or missionaries not use money wisely that we've given to them? Absolutely. Should they do that? No, they should not. Should we be careful to vet the missionaries? Yes. And we have a group of men who do a great job at that. But if you gave that out of a heart and for the purpose of God, then that righteous act remains forever. Isn't that a great and encouraging thought this morning? Look at verse number 10. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministereth bread for your food and multiply your seed, your seed sown to the increase of the fruits of your unrighteousness. Watch, here's what he's saying. Who gave you all that stuff anyway? Look at me, church. Who gave you all that stuff anyway? Who does it belong to ultimately? 
It belongs to God. Because every good gift and every, per and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from our Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God gave you seed to sow. God gave you something to give. God gave you bread to eat. God gave that to you. Everything you have is a gift from God Almighty. There's not one thing you own or in your possession or under your stewardship that did not come from God. Now, we are very independent people. And we like to think, no, 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 no. I put myself through school. I'm the one that got the good grades. I'm the one that stayed up late. I wrote the research paper. I applied my mental skills, and I got me to where I am. But let's back up for a second. Who gave you that mind what, what, that you used in order to get the grades that you have? You had no say over your mental development. You had no say over how your mind would grow, how your mind would work. You had no ability over that. You could not have improved it. You could not have stopped it. It was God's good grace that gave you the mind you have, that allowed you to go to school, that allowed you to pass the class, that gave you that research paper. He said, no, no, not me. I work hard every day. I show early. I stay late. It's the sweat of my brow, the breaking of my back, the calluses on my hands, pastor. That's how I got to where I am today. I worked hard. Who gave you that strength? What you used to do that work with? That strength was from God Almighty. That mind was from God Almighty. Who, who's to say that you were born in this time frame, in this century? Why weren't you born in the fifth century? Why were you born in this century now where we understand the importance of rest and education and progressing and moving forward in our lives? Why were you born now and not then? Who made sure you were born now and not then? God did. God gave you everything you have. It's all a gift from God Almighty. That's what he's saying. And God gave it to you so that you could take what is temporary and you could cause it to be eternal. Because will lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moss and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves eternal riches, not temporary riches. He's saying the same thing here. That God gave you everything, not just that. But God gave you his everything. That's what he said in chapter 8. For ye know, look at verse number 9. For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. See, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, give God your everything, and just maybe, just maybe, you might get eternity if you're lucky enough Every other religion in the world says, give God your everything. And if you give God your everything and you cross your fingers and you behave between now and then and you're religious and you go to church and you're kind to your neighbor, well, then maybe, just maybe, you get eternity. 
That's what every religion in this world says. Work your way into eternity that way. Christianity says God in his good and deep and abiding love hath given to you everything you need for life and godliness. There is a way to eternity and that way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The way in which what is temporary can, be, can become eternal is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ alone. God has given you everything. And God, has gave, and God gave his everything to you. If you're here this morning, you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. We wouldn't want you to leave this place thinking all we care about is your money. We don't want your money. If you're here this morning, you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your, care, as your Savior. This is what we care about. We care about your eternal soul. And we would not want for you to leave this place this morning without coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me, friend. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This which is temporary can become eternal. This which is corruptible can put on incorruption. This which is fading and passing away quickly can become and can know life everlasting through the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those in the room who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you know the good things God has given to you, let me end this with this illustration. This is it. In which way do you see all the good things God has given to you? He uses two analogies. He says it's bread or it's seed. Everything you have in life, you are either consuming as bread for your own good or you are distributing it like it's seed. And when you distribute it like it's seed, if you distribute bountifully, you reap bountifully. If you distribute, if you distribu distribute sparingly, you reap sparingly. So here you have two items. You have bread or you have seed. Everything you have in life is either bread or seed. God has given you a car. That car is either for your own consumption, your own use, your own driving around town, your own ideas, your own way, getting, to your, getting you to your own places as you want to go. That car is either bread to you for your own consumption and your own good, or that car is seed to you for which you will say, God gave me this car and I want to use this car as a way to serve others and glorify God have an apartment or a house and that is either bread for you for your own consumption for you to use in your own way for you to do what you what you want to do in your own house and use it for your own enjoyment there would be nothing wrong with this it's just bread it's from God and you can say God thank you for the bread you gave me or you can see that house or apartment as seed a way that you could use your house your apartment to do good to those around you to be hospitable to those who sit in and around you to have people over to your home to show them the love of Christ in your living room everything you have in life is either bread or seed. 
That's what he's saying. Both of them came from God. But it's all about how we see it, isn't it? It's all about how we're using it, isn't it? So how will you use all that God has given to you? Is it bread? Or is it seed? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. And Father, we thank you for your word. Father, as we approach the end of this missions conference here this evening, just one more service to go. Father, we weigh heavily on our hearts the idea of what we ought to do with all that you have given to us. Father, we want to be good stewards. Father, we want to use what you've given to us to bring you honor and to bring you glory. So, Father, I pray that you would help us. Father, help us to recognize how gracious you are to us. Father, help us to realize how much you've given to us. Father, and help us to allow those gifts to flow through us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if you're here, you say, Pastor, if I were to die today, I do not know heaven would be my home. I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and let us pray for you? Some of our pastors are looking. Say, Pastor, that's me. If I were to die today, I do not know heaven would be my home. Pray for me. God bless you. Who else? Say, Pastor, that's me. I'd like for you to pray for me. God bless you. Who else? There's two or three. How about you, friend? You do not know for sure that heaven will be your home. You do not know your sins are forgiven. You do not know you'd have a place in heaven. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I think there's two or three that have raised their hand. If that's you in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Here's what I want to do. I just want to invite you to just be obedient to the Lord in whatever He's speaking to your heart about. We'll have just a time with the piano. We'll play. Some folks around you, they might come forward and pray here these stairs. Some people might choose to sit nearer around you and have their own time of prayer. It's just an opportunity for us to just reflect and respond on what we heard. What we don't want to do is we don't want to just rush from this place without having a chance to think about what the Lord has said to our own individual hearts and lives. So just a minute or two, if you raised your hand and you said you're not for sure heaven is your home, would you come find one of our pastors here at the front? If you're here this morning, you know heaven is your home. Can I ask you this? How are you seeing everything in your life? Is it bread or is it seed? Is it bread or is it seed? Would you... Just in the quietness of this moment, would you ask the Lord to help you to know exactly what he would have for you to do? Would you, would you ask him, God, what, what do you want me to give to missions? God, how can, I, how can I support the local church? God, how should I use these good gifts you've given to me? I want to sow bountifully. How many of you like me would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to sow bountifully? Me too.